0: Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Nintex is the global standard for
1: business process management and automation. The Nintex platform helps their clients accelerate progress on their digital transformation journeys by quickly and easily managing, automating, and optimizing business processes. Learn more at nintex.com.
0: Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. All right, Marco.
2: Sean. You know, it's coming to that Point in my life, that, uh, I think I need a career.
3: You need a career? <laughs> are, you, are you just gonna jump? To it's, sp- time to, it's time are to. Are jump sheep and leave me alone here? On I'm gonna this, jump uh, sheep like and, and start a career in something. I have no be idea
2: photographer? what it is. I'm gonna be go well, back photographer.
3: I may be photography. Yeah, you like that. You like that. But you know what? The reason why I'm asking you that photography thing is, you can't just be like a photographer. You need you need the tools. I mean, a list, a list of cameras. You see what I did there? <laughs> you need a toolkit.
2: A toolkit. I do need a toolkit for sure. And it's funny you mentioned that as well because I have lots of reference material. I know we're off on a photography spin <laughs> here, but I have loads of reference material for how to use certain lenses and certain settings and particular lighting. If it's fast sports indoors and dark, it's very different than a moonshot at night. In the middle of the mountains, so uh,
3: to yeah. to each uh, to each job you need you need to apply certain skills. But there is one yeah. thing, and I'm gonna getting close to this conversation. Otherwise, we're gonna make people a little crazy. Is that That's you? S- you still need to decide what you want to do, and once you decide what you want to do, you need to get the job that you want, get the position that you want, or at least start somewhere and maybe climb up. I don't know. I'm well, the just difference,
2: th- the difference between uh, photography is a hobby and maybe if I started to do it as a profession and with most professions you probably don't do it on your own you you have to work with other people either as part of a team leading a team supporting a team um, and that becomes even more complex so enough of us rambling
3: Mark. yep Let's, so uh, what do you need it's a career toolkit
2: we need a career toolkit
3: and you may and need you, a book for that
2: I need many things but uh <laughs> <We'll> go
3: <there. laughs> but let's say it's you that, need a book because you want to read it and you need somebody to write that book and we have the person that wrote that book.
2: we have the book we <laughs> have the person who wrote the book we're going to learn about the book the career toolkit by mark hershberg mark thanks for uh putting up with us for a few seconds there uh probably far too long than uh <laughs> far was deserved, long. but, but uh, it's a pleasure having you on the show
1: thanks for having me on it's my pleasure to be here
3: all right, why don't we start with uh, who are you? <laughs> Who's Mark?
1: I've done a number of things in my career. I've often been a CTPO, a CTO and a CPO, technology and product officer. I've built a number of startups. I've helped Fortune 500s play startup. I've also launched a couple teaching programs at MIT and at Harvard Business School. And so I've been around a lot of different organizations and a lot of different industries And in doing so, I learned a lot about my own career, and it stems from an early observation I had. When I began my career as an engineer, I knew I wanted to become that CTO, that person in charge. And I asked myself, what does that CTO need? How do you get to that role? It wasn't just about being the best engineer. If you're in sales, it's not just about being the best salesperson or in marketing, not the best marketer. Yes, you should be good at your domain, but I realized there were these other skills I needed to be successful. Leadership, networking, negotiating, team building, communicating, all these skills no one ever taught me. So I had to develop them in myself. And as I did so, I realized these skills are not just for the senior people. They are for everyone along the way. And I began training up my teams. As I was doing this, MIT and their surveys found these are the skills companies want but can't find not just among MIT students and anyone they hire, they can't find it. So MIT created what's now known as the career success accelerator. And as they were creating the class, I heard about, I reached out and said, I'm happy to share my content with you. And they asked me to help create the class and to teach there, which I've been doing for the past 20 years, primarily teaching at MIT, but also sometimes elsewhere. And that's turned into this whole parallel career for me. So I have my main career as a CTPO but then I have my side career, teaching at MIT, the speaking, and now the book, The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You.
2: Interesting. And I already have a gazillion questions, uh, having been a, a product manager and uh, in the tech space. So uh, my my brain's going a mile a minute. But let's talk about the origin of the book. So what was the catalyst behind that, uh, the, the origin story there?
1: I've been teaching this at MIT for decades. And the great thing is we have the academic researchers who really understand the theory behind these skills. We have practitioners like myself who know how to apply it. And so together, we've come up with how to actually best explain and instill these skills into our students. For years, I was encouraging MIT to share this with others. MIT pioneered open online courseware, giving away our content for free. For various reasons, we weren't able to do that with this class. We didn't have the resources to do that. And this class, the way we teach it, it's not lecturing at the students. It's very hands-on interactive. But I wanted to do something, give the students something to take away because they're not taking a lot of notes. I wish they did take more notes, something we could share online. So I thought I'd type up maybe about 20 pages of notes to summarize what we do. And that's what I thought I was doing I was spending a lot of time flying on planes, so I had the downtime to write. But what I thought was twenty pages became forty, became eighty, and once it passed a hundred, I said, "These aren't just some notes. I think this is a book." And so I put out the book and the corresponding app, and
2: and an app to boot. Look at that. Now, people listening might think this is for students. This book. Is that an accurate description or does it it apply to people already in the workforce or uh, maybe perhaps folks that don't take the traditional path through uh, university?
1: It's accurate, but not sufficient. So yes, it is useful to students and people early in their career, but it's also applicable to people in their mid-career, late career. We've had people in their 40s, 50s, even 60s say, wow, this is so useful. Now, at 62, you might not be focused on career planning, chapter one. On the other hand, even well into your 40s and 50s, you might be saying, I wish I was better at negotiating, networking, leading, communicating. These skills are applicable across your entire career. So anytime you want to get better at these skills, my book or similar books can be beneficial to you.
3: So these are the one that are called soft skill. I hate that word.
1: <laughs> we call them firm skills.
3: <laughs> but but it, 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 it makes it clear for all the, you know, the technology, especially people where like, you know, okay, I, I'm really good at what I do. Yeah, but are you good at, as you said, networking, negotiating, communicating, um, creating relationship and, and all of that? So it, it's kind of like that, you know, are you street smart <laughs> enough? How is that you are focusing on, on all of
1: that? The analogy I like to give students, imagine, we're going to do a little bit of math here. Imagine you have a rectangle that's four by 10 and you have to increase the sides, one of the sides by two units to maximize the area. So do you increase the short side or the long side? And feel free to pause the podcast if you need a moment to think about it. The answer, of course, is the short side. You go from four to six to get 60 units instead of 48 the other way. Okay, great. What does middle school math have to do with any of this? Well, if we think about it conceptually, when you put those two units on the short side, it's getting amplified by that long side. It's getting amplified by the 10. If you put it on the 10, it's only amplified by the four. All of us have long sides and short sides. We all have things we're good at and things we might not be as good at. Typically, that long side includes our domain expertise. For me, it's technology. For someone else, it might be accounting or selling. And that's great that you can do this. But now let's consider, especially those of us in technology, we come up with a brilliant technical idea, but if we can't explain that to other people, it doesn't matter how long that long side is, how brilliant we are, That really short side limits the ability for us to have an impact. And so by working on the short side, by getting better at, say, communicating, not necessarily I can stand on that TED stage and deliver this world-class talk, but I can go from incoherent to explaining well or even compelling, all of a sudden the power of my long side gets amplified because I can communicate to more people. Now, all of us have more than two sides, but as we focus on some of our shorter sides, which are typically these firm skills or soft skills or power skills, whatever you want to call them, they're going to give us a better ROI and make us more productive with our long sides.
3: So I suck at math, so I'm just going with what you just said, but it makes sense (laughs) because you need both. I mean, there's plenty of stories in the past of great invention that didn't succeed because maybe they were marketed the right way. And and so it's about marketing yourself or presenting yourself in a certain way. So Sean, uh, you're good at math. So what did you get from that? Uh,
2: one plus one equals three. <laughs> no, no. What I got from it, I mean, it's very compelling. That that visual, um, looking at the the long side just being amplified by the short side increasing, and what I w- immediately went back to was the two points you made in, early on, which were that you work with small startups to succeed. And you also work with fortune 500s to act like startups. And I think w- we've all heard some stats, I don't even know what they are, but they're not great. The stats of the the rate of startup success, right? It's greater failures than success. And I mean, look across the board, many of them are, Started by salespeople that can't build a product, or tech people that build a product but can't sell it, or tech and business but can't market it. <laughs> There's always a piece that's missing. And even when you get into the internals as a, as a CPO, you might have some thoughts and comments on this. You have to, and I kind of to my point early on, you have to build a team to help you build the product. And if you can't communicate to them what you're trying to accomplish, if you can't hear from the customer what they actually want, and start to make all these connections, which I presume touches all the parts of your book of communicating and leadership and all these things. So I guess my question is, tell us how all that comes together in the context of what's the ultimate objective, which I think is to have something succeed, whatever that is, some product, right?
1: The ultimate objective, of course, is for you as an individual to be successful, however you define it. Now, for some, that is starting your own business and growing the business. That doesn't mean, by the way, you shouldn't have a career plan. It's just that your title won't change in that plan. You'll have the same title, but you're still going to grow and develop. For others, it might be changing titles as you're growing and developing. But to your point, you do need all these skills. Imagine that you are leading a department. You are going to need to know how to interview and hire people. And by the way that's something if you think about it, many of us we've been candidates and we've all seen how do you answer these questions how do I do well on in an interview but few of us have ever been trained in how to hire someone yet so critical to our organization so you need to know how to hire you need to know how to manage that team you need to know how to lead them forward those skills by the way like the others even if you don't have that title we all lead and manage even as individual contributors we don't have authority doesn't mean we don't have to lead or manage other people. The skills are probably even more important when you don't have the authority. We need to communicate our ideas to other people, whether it's externally to partners and customers or internally to our internal customers and partners who we're working with in the company. We need to negotiate with them because not all other departments and department heads will want the same things we want. How do we negotiate and come up with solutions? so the more effective we are at these individual skills the more we can accomplish and move us on our path to success again however we define it
3: so keep keep going with this because as i'm looking through your website that you divided all the single things that you just said now in in, in different chapters and the chapter are divided in bigger chunk of content that's for example interpersonal dynamics and leadership and management. So tell me about the approach to how you did structure the book this way and what make it different from other books.
1: Great questions. The book has three sections, 10 chapters. Let me just quickly summarize it. Section one, careers, how to create and execute a career plan, how to work effectively, managing your manager, understanding corporate culture. Chapter three, interviewing. In which we look as much from the interviewer's side as from the interviewees section two leadership and management so leadership then people management and process management we look at both sides of that third section interpersonal dynamics communication networking negotiation and ethics the book is written that you can use it any way you want like a toolkit you can reach in and pick up the tool that you want If you want to buy the book and go right to chapter eight and get better at networking, start with chapter eight, then jump to chapter two, go back to chapter nine. You can read it in any order and they do stand alone. Each chapter has a mental shift, how to think differently about the skill, and then specific things you can do to execute better and be more effective in this skill. Now, the skills do build upon each other, as we've talked about, Good leaders, for example, know how to negotiate. Good negotiators know how to communicate. So these skills really do reinforce each other. And that's why I put them together all under one book instead of 10 books that, frankly, no one would want to sit through 10 books anyway. And then, of course, what also makes it different, the Companion app, which is a free app on the Android and iPhone stores and link from the website. And this will give you a pop-up each day with one of the tips in the book. So as you read the book, because I know when I read books, I forget 95% of it three weeks later. This is going to help you retain it using a technique known as spaced repetition. You just need to open the app once a month so we know that you're active. And that's just going to pop up a notification at a time you set to help you retain it. Or let's say you're about to go into a networking event. Oh what was that tip mark wrote it I read it weeks ago will open up the app right before you walk in and then quickly go to some of those tips and review them right before you walk into that event so that's how we've got a unique set of tools and ways to use them
2: and I'm wondering mark do you two things come to mind the, not everybody's the same I guess is where I'm going with this question do you have to be driven and career-minded for this to matter? Um, What if all you want is a job? Is there a difference difference in that? And can this help even if all you want is a job, you're not interested in in a career and being beholden and all the, there's a lot of upside to having a career, but then some other challenges as well. So any differences there?
1: Great question. In fact, Chapter 1, Career Planning, I include there some questions, how to think about what you want, and they're also available on the resources page on the website for free and most of the questions aren't simply about the job yes there are questions do i want to manage people how much travel do i want but there are also questions like what do i want out of life where do i want to live what type of impact do i want to have on my community and i give the example in the book of a friend of mine i was a competitive ballroom dancer and i know this guy from the ballroom dance world he had a job Not a career, not something he was passionate about. It was a job that was sufficient. It paid him what he needed to earn. It gave him flexibility so on a Friday afternoon, he could leave early to drive off to the weekend competition and they didn't mind. And that's what mattered to him. His job was there to support his larger lifestyle. And as I say in the book, that's how we need to think about our careers. Don't think about your job and career and then fit a life around it. Think about the life you want and then find a career that fits into it to achieve your goal.
3: And the meaning of life, and the universe, <laughs> That's and everything else. And everything else. 42. No,
0: uh,
3: so, nah, it's important. Go for it, Sean. Yeah,
2: now I along the same lines, um, how does one know where their short side is? It's probably it's probably behind them somewhere, not, not easy to see, right? So I, I don't know. Is there anything in the book or in the app that, that helps people identify where their weaknesses might, might exist?
1: There are. Now, certainly many of us have some sense of, I wish I was better at networking or negotiating. Those are two very big ones. But you might even say, I wish I could be a stronger leader, better at managing. You know, I haven't been trained in how to interview people. So you might just start and have some intuitive sense of where you are, or where you might be stronger. I do talk about assessment tools. These are things like HBDI, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, whichever ones you prefer. And when you use this, it's going to tell you something about yourself. So for example, when I did my test, it showed that I am a very analytical person. Not surprising for a guy with a couple degrees from MIT who works as a CTO. Okay, great, didn't need to know that. But it also showed me I had a disinclination towards other areas which I suppose I knew, but never really thought about. And so when I think back to what I've done, well, I focused a lot on the technical skills. As a little kid, I liked to do math problems for fun because that's the type of guy I was. And I got better and better at, and now I'm very good at. I was not interested in dealing with emotional issues. Not something I found interesting. So I never built up my skill set in that area. Just like I got very good at ballroom dancing, I liked it, I trained, I practiced, I am not very good at ice hockey. No interest, barely did. But if ice hockey is part of my job, I'm going to realize I had disinclination towards ice hockey or maybe a disinclination towards cold, so I didn't do cold winter sports, and now I'm not good at them. When you do these assessments, it's going to show you areas, not necessarily strengths or weakness. This isn't an SAT, this is a preference, but it turns out your preferences lead to your behaviors and your behaviors lead to your capabilities. I am very capable at dancing because I put time into it because I liked it. I'm not capable at ice hockey because I didn't like and didn't put time into it. So you might start to realize these are areas I don't really focus on, whether managing people, big picture, details, emotional, written versus verbal, whatever that test assesses. When it shows you your disinclinations, focus on those areas because that's probably a shorter side because you haven't been interested in working on it.
2: And it's interesting, I know Marco's going to want to go here in a second, but I just, I looked back early on my career and maybe, maybe you have other examples from people who've read your book or examples in the book that you can share that are similar or related. But I too was strong in math uh, in school and less in English and writing. And as I became a uh, product manager, program manager and product manager, and then marketing person, guess what I had to do a lot of? (laughs) Writing. I had to communicate to the team in writing, status, requirements, objectives, what we're selling to the customer, what the customers want, translating all that, writing it all down. It was very uncomfortable, which is the point I'm making here. It was an area that I knew I wasn't strong at, but I knew I had to excel at in order to succeed in those roles. And those roles were very important to me for where I wanted to go in my career. So they were very uncomfortable, but I hit them head on. Thankfully, I had the support of my team and my managers to, uh, to embrace that and, and grow as I went. So are there are stories like that where there's a, something that's uncomfortable where maybe the book helps to say, well, here's how to move through those areas of discomfort in a way that you can actually see progress and and uh, find yourself at the other end of
1: things. Some of it is based on that mental shift. A lot of these skills, people are anxious about it. They are anxious about networking because it feels disingenuous. They're anxious about negotiating because uh, it feels hostile and we have to fight. But when you reframe it appropriately, you can view it in a different light, and it's not going to be so anxious. It's not going to cause you a disinclination to them. You're going to see it in a more positive way, and then you can start applying the skills. But really, all of these skills, and this is the important point, these are things we do have to practice and do. This is not how we've learned before, because when you think back to high school or college, The teacher did information transfer. The teacher, she'd stand at the front of the room. She'd write down some formula, some dates, whatever you had to learn. You'd take notes and memorize it. And then on the test, you would know when and where to apply it. There is no formula for leadership. There's no three things to do and suddenly you are a master negotiator. It's not that simple. It's more akin to public speaking or a sport. You have to do it. You have to try it. But there is a way you can do this Now, here's the thing, when we have sports, what do we wanna do? We want to drill, we want to scrimmage and practice. It seems like it's hard. I can't walk up to my team and say, I'm gonna try something new today. And if I totally blow it, I can't say to my team, roll that back five hours, forget everything I just did, pretend it didn't happen, doesn't work that way. But we can get some version of this through peer learning. Now, peer learning is how we teach this at MIT. It's how it's taught at top business schools what I recommend organizations do. If your organization doesn't do this, you can do it on your own by creating a local meetup group or finding other people. But what I recommend organization does is you break people into small groups. I recommend about six to eight people, but you can do it in larger groups. And you get folks together and you get some content. Now you can use my book. You can chop up and say, we're going to read these 10 pages this week and two weeks from now, another 10 pages. If you don't want to use my book, use a different book use articles, videos, use a great podcast like this one and listen to the episodes. But when you've got the content, you heard the episode, you read the pages, discuss it. First, it's because you're going to see something different in that lesson on leadership than I will. We're all going to share our different perspectives because there's no one right answer. And these are complex areas where multiple views are important. Next, we can talk about experiences. I might say, hey, I've got a negotiation coming up And here's what I'm thinking of doing. And you guys are going to say, well, Mark, hey, what about this? What about that? You're going to be exploring it with me. That's your chance to scrimmage, to practice as you help me do it. Someone might say, oh, I have similar negotiation. Here's what I tried. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't work. We can all learn from that. You can be more formal and intentional. You can actually bring in for negotiations. You can bring in case studies and role sheets. For leadership, same thing. So you can be intentional or just leave it as discussion groups. By doing this regularly, there's a number of benefits. One, you upskill everyone. Two, you help people develop stronger internal networks. Three, you're engaging your employees. Four, you're keeping it top of mind because no one says, by the way, next Tuesday at 3.17 p.m., you have to lead. It's not on and off. It's continuous. We want to do this on a regular basis. And then finally, you create a common language for your organization. If you've all read the same book, let's say it's good to great. They talk about the hedgehog model. If everyone's read that, you can say to a coworker, oh, well, think of it like the hedgehog model. Oh, yes, of course, I get it now. So you get all these benefits when you create this internal training group for your department, your division, your company. And by the way, on the website, on the resources page, there's a free download that shows you how to do it. I don't charge for this. It's not something I'm selling. Take it, use it, get better with it. Cool. Super cool.
3: Yeah. It's, uh, it was my favorite thing to do because I couldn't memorize stuff. So it was about, you know? no, discuss it because <laughs> I can talk. So, you know, I like that. But, but it's a great approach to create, a team to create relationship with, with other students and so forth. So I can totally see that. So as you, we do run put,
2: Do you put other people in leadership roles for those? Do you recommend that? So people get that practice as well.
1: I recommend these can be self-directed groups. You could have someone oversee it or they could be self-directed. You could have someone lead the group or rotate leadership. Two important things to keep in mind. I talk about this in the download. First, mix the groups. Don't just say engineers are in one, sales are in another. You want that diversity of experience. Second, you want to be careful, however, about diversity of experience levels. You don't want to have senior executives with junior people. It can be a little intimidating. So you want to keep the experience levels relatively the same, but the department, the backgrounds, the skill sets different.
3: Great, great, great. So, I would say um, I'm just going to wrap it there for, I'm looking at your website, so I'm, I'm, I'm using your words. <laughs> so <laughs> this is, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is for professional at any level, students, so they can figure out what they want to do in their life and then maybe if, uh, what is more of a, how can you do that? You're not telling them what they're going to be good at, but how they can do a self reflection on what they want to achieve and then of course you say it's good for you you are in the middle of your career you want to turn into become a leader so i don't see like the little the leader icon and then i one thing that we didn't really talk about this hr which is for people that need to understand where people want to go and uh, it's a very hard decision to to make because Do you go more for the soft skill, the hard skills? Are you going to be good once we hire you and and so forth? So maybe I'll let you finish with a comment about the the HR part of it. And then, uh, of course, when we're done, people can find the link to your book and to your social media and website on the notes for this podcast. So uh, the last word is, is for you.
1: For HR and leaders, This certainly can help you continue to develop and grow. But of course, your job in HR or in leadership is to help other people develop and grow. And that's where this peer learning group comes in. That's where you can use this not just for yourself, but to upskill everyone in your charge. And so if you go to the website, thecareertoolkitbook.com, not only can you see where to buy it, follow me on social media, again, touch with me, download the app because I link to both stores, you've got that resources page where the very first download is the professional development guide that teaches you how to do this. Again, completely free. There's a whole bunch of other free tools linked from that page. Some are downloadable. Others, for example, the assessment tools that we talked about, I linked to a bunch of free online ones so you can try it and learn more about yourself. So all of this is at thecareertoolkitbook.com.
2: Love it. And uh, we'll, we'll include a link to that in the show notes and still have 50 questions in my head Marco's is going to hit me with a stick if I open my mouth again
3: so no uh, more might, questions no thank more you
2: questions. so I'm, I'm going to leave it with a huge thank you Mark for connecting with us and uh, for bringing this resource to, to us and our audience hopefully folks uh, find some, uh, some value in this conversation and even more so in, in the resources that you've uh,
1: described here today so thanks Mark for having me on the show
0: Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. Nintex is the global standard for
1: business process management and automation. The Nintex platform helps their clients accelerate progress on their digital transformation journeys by quickly and easily managing, automating, and optimizing business processes. Learn more at nintex.com.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Audio Signals. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itsbmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues.